Welcome to Visiting Professors. This is medical oncologist Dr. Neil Love. On this program, clinical investigators participate in an education clinic of medical oncologists and community-based practice and then review the cases in a recording session afterwards. For this issue, we focus on patients with NHL and CLL, beginning with Dr. John Leonard, who visited the practice of Dr. Neil Morgenstein. The first patient they saw was a woman who was initially thought to have colon cancer, but turned out to have mantle cell lymphoma. She is a 65-year-old female, active, active, active woman, who started noticing fatigue about a year and a half, two years ago. Finally developed some abdominal pain, saw a gastroenterologist, was found to be anemic, and had a colonoscopy done. Had biopsies done and actually came to see me prior to having the biopsy results. So she was given a diagnosis of colon cancer. When I saw her and reviewed the pathology, she had a mantle cell lymphoma. She had quite extensive disease, you know, palpable bulky adenopathy in the neck, under the arms, in the inguinal area, and had marrow disease. So when we saw her, this was a long discussion. Her daughter was very well educated, came with stacks of paper regarding her treatment. And the real decision that we had to make was whether to treat her with hyper or to treat her with an RCHOP regimen and then send her for autologous stem cell transplant. And we debated quite a bit on this. Finally decided that she was old. She was 65 which is a cutoff for even attempting it, and treated her with RCHOP. That was a good idea. She had more difficulty than I expected with RCHOP. She wound up in the hospital twice with neutropenic fever. We were able to keep her on her schedule, though. Made it to an autologous stem cell transplant, which by her own admission, she tolerated extremely well with some minimal fatigue and a little bit of diarrhea. And subsequent to that has been in a complete remission. Now, she is receiving maintenance rituxan, for whatever that's worth. I believe in this disease, she has an extraordinarily high risk of disease relapse, and it's maybe reasonable to continue her on this. And right now, her performance status is great. She takes care of her daughter, just had twins. She's incredibly active, taking care of her grandchildren, and asymptomatic right now. You had mentioned to me that her counts are running low. Her counts are running low. So she has about, she's almost 11 months post-transplant. Her platelet count is still between 50 and 70 mildly anemic and a low normal white count. So I'm somewhat concerned about her, and she's probably going to need a bone marrow biopsy in the very near future. So John, any comments about the case, particularly reflecting back to that initial decision? Well, I think clearly with mantle cell lymphoma, the issues are, you know, how intensive to be with patients. And as I think you know, our group at Cornell has been relatively less intensive than most groups. However, our CHOP by itself, I think most would argue, is less than what is needed to get a meaningful and durable response in mantle cell lymphoma. We've been focused on trying to add new agents to our CHOP, but clearly consolidating with stem cell transplant or using something more intensive like hyper-CVAD with or without a stem cell transplant is what many groups are doing. And certainly the intensive treatments have been associated with a better progression-free survival, although at least to me, the overall survival data have been a little bit less compelling. So this is a lady who it was on the border as far as age, as Neil alluded to. Obviously, all of this is not age-based, but also functional status-based from the standpoint of how intensive to treat her. And I think 
a 65-year-old, generally speaking, and, you know, my take on her seeing her now is that she looks to me like an average 65-year-old, not particularly ill, but not particularly extraordinarily fit either, that getting them through an R-hyper-CVAD type regimen would be pretty challenging. And I think the fact that she had difficulties with R-CHOP certainly speaks to R-CHOP induction being the right treatment. And it seems like she's done pretty well with her stem cell transplant. So I think it's a very reasonable approach, and she's done well with it to date. I agree with Neil that the concern about her platelets is one that is kind of ignorance is bliss right now because, you know, in talking with her and trying to get a feel for her disease and her course, you know, and me just meeting her once, you know, the issue of mantle cell lymphoma, I think, is an interesting one psychologically to deal with with a patient like this who's in remission, had intensive treatment, was treated well and relatively intensively you know, how hard do you go looking for trouble, I think. And I certainly was mindful when we spoke with her, you know, you don't want to overemphasize that the disease is probably going to come back. She's doing well. She's happy. She feels like things are going well. Finding her relapse, if and when it happens, finding it earlier, if it's not bothering her, you could argue, don't go looking for trouble. And so I think letting her enjoy this period without bothering her too much with concerns, I think would be a good thing. And I think that on some level, you want to know what's going on with her bone marrow, whether it's an early myelodysplasia or a late effect of the chemotherapy and just taking time, whether it's residual disease, whether it's autoimmune, or whether it's related to the rituximab, which is probably the only thing you'd do differently if you thought it was somehow rituximab related, although you might argue you wouldn't do anything differently. And it's hard to prove that anyway. So at the end of the day, you could argue just to leave her alone and not go looking for trouble, which I think was probably an approach that this lady would be pretty comfortable with and is at this point. What about the maintenance R in this situation, John? Yeah, I think it's a hard answer. I mean, large cell lymphoma after R chemo, we know that there's no role for maintenance rituximab and some relatively negative data, not adverse data, but non-positive data. So, you know, large cell lymphoma is easy. Follicular lymphoma, I think the role of maintenance, as we alluded to earlier, is pretty clear and positive, you know, debatable how essential it is, but clearly there's an effect. And I think in mantle cell, it's kind of a middle ground right now. There are certain studies that suggest there's not a lot of value to it. On the other hand, there are other studies and relatively few comparative studies basically suggested some benefit to maintenance for tuximab in a small randomized study in mantle cell. So I think it's a little hit or miss. I think it's certainly reasonable in a lady like this when she relapses, if she's sick, you're going to be left with very little in the way of intensive options. So trying to squeeze as much as you can out of what you've already given her is certainly a reasonable rationale. And I think that's what many of us do in mantle cell is if it's not hurting her and it might help and we can get mileage out of things, that's fine. And I think it's certainly a logical thinking, albeit one that unfortunately one way or another is not yet supported by data, but I think intuitively is not unreasonable to think about, but it would also be reasonable to give no maintenance as well. One could also argue that the Nordic data in mantle cell, where they used an intensive approach and gave preemptive rituximab when patients had molecular relapses, is almost kind of doing the same thing to a degree here and might have benefits. So at the end of the day, I think it's not really right or wrong, but certainly reasonable and something she doesn't appear to mind. So I think it's fine. John, any updates in terms of R maintenance and inulant lymphoma, particularly after R chemo? Well, the PRIMA study, which basically took patients with follicular lymphoma, gave them R chemo, mostly either R CHOP or R CVP, 
and then randomly assigned them to observation versus maintenance rituximab, there was an improvement in progression-free survival. So uh, certainly is reasonable to give maintenance therapy after our chemo as initial therapy. We have other data suggesting that in the relapsed in the lymphoma setting, maintenance after our chemo can also be useful. So I think I don't know that everybody's giving it. I don't think it's wrong not to give it, but there's certainly more and more data suggesting that it can add some value. I think we need to continue to see these data in full form with longer follow-up. We also have to be mindful of toxicity of rituximab maintenance, which can include infections in a subset of patients, et cetera. So I think in general, we're going to be seeing more of that, and it's certainly a reasonable thing to do. But you know, it's not quite a black and white issue, at least in my mind at this point. So, Neil, did you repeat her colonoscopy and what's going on with her? Yeah, it was repeated about a year after, and it was normal. Oh, great. What about new research approaches with mantle cell, John, and particularly the issue of bringing bortezomib in earlier up front? So I think in mantle cell, we're learning several new things. Number one is we have a lot of new drugs, and you've alluded to one of them, which is, I think, nice. And for someone who thinks of this as a chronic disorder that we can almost, in some cases, turn into hopefully follicular lymphoma, I think the availability of new agents is certainly exciting. We're also recognizing that there are indolent subsets of mantle cell lymphoma. There are blastoid subsets of mantle cell lymphoma that probably need to be treated intensively. I think that incorporating new agents in the initial therapy of mantle cell makes a lot of sense. Bortezomib, which is approved in relapse mantle cell lymphoma and is certainly active there, is being combined in several different studies. We at Cornell did an RCHOP plus bortezomib study, which you know hinted that there may be some benefit to adding bortezomib, although not a dramatic effect. The SWAG has a study giving bortezomib plus RCHOP plus bortezomib maintenance. Brad Call has done a modified R-hypersevad with bortezomib. In CLGB, we've done a study of an intensive approach with something similar to hypersevad with an autotransplant, followed by bortezomib as either a maintenance or as a consolidation. So I think we've got several single-arm studies that have looked at bortezomib as part of initial therapy. I know that there's a randomized, I think, industry-sponsored study looking at substituting for vincristine in our CHOP as well. And so, you know, I think this makes sense to explore the problems in mantle cell are that there in the U.S. has hardly ever at all been a randomized trial in mantle cell lymphoma. So I think interpreting phase two studies and trying to say, does adding bortezomib or some other new drug provide benefit is going to be a challenge in a single arm study. But certainly bortezomib, I think, is being explored there. And hopefully over the next year or two, we'll have more data that will confirm that. We're also seeing data with lenalidomide as a maintenance. And there are several single agent studies of lenalidomide and relapsed mantle cell lymphoma going on, as well as using it as a maintenance versus observation in people getting treated with our chemo. So certainly lenalidomide is getting in there. Bendamustine, as we mentioned earlier, is active. And we have a few other new agents, including the mTOR inhibitors. The PI3 kinase inhibitor that I mentioned earlier is also active in mantle cells. So I think there certainly are a number of new agents that have promise, and I think we'll see them work their way from last line to second line to upfront combinations, hopefully in the coming years. 
What about bendamustine, rituximab, and mantle cell? The Rommel study had quite a few patients with mantle cell in it. It wasn't a huge number of patients, but that being said, it was one of the few randomized studies of mantle cell, and given the relative rarity of mantle cell, is relatively robust considering the literature with other regimens out there. And the bottom line is that bendamustine rituximab had an improved progression-free survival there compared to RCHOP. It wasn't dramatically improved, but it was significantly improved statistically, as I recall. And, you know, the fact that it's a well-tolerated drug, you don't lose your hair, you have less cytopenias, I think suggests that in older patients, particularly where you're not going to use the more intensive treatments, using a BR-based approach as opposed to an RCHOP-based approach may make sense. And in fact, the three U.S. cooperative groups are now collaborating on a proposal that are using BR-based upfront regimens, including one that uses the BVR regimen, where bendamustine bortezomib rituximab, which has been looked at in relapse patients with both indolent and mantle cell lymphoma, is now going to be studied upfront. So that's another example where bortezomib is being combined with bendamustine rituximab. And I think that also is a promising approach. And when you're using it in the BR regimen, you don't have to deal with the neuropathy that vincristine gives, which obviously is manageable, but is something you have to keep in mind in those combinations. What's your experience, Neil, with bortezomib in mantle cell, particularly in terms of neuropathy? You know, I've had fairly good luck with bortezomib. The neuropathy is something you have to watch for. I mean, I think if you watch for it, if you ask on every visit and every appointment whether the developing it and you catch it early and you either stop or dose reduce, I think it's been manageable. I haven't had an extreme amount of problems with it. People do develop it, but with dose reductions, they do fine. 